It's August 2nd. It is the post deadline edition of the call up. And uh, we've got a lot of trades to break down. We got a lot of prospects to talk about. And we are going to rank the top prospects that were moved at the deadline. Of course, we're going to hit on some honorable mentions and then rank the top 10 going from 10 down to one. I'm Aram Layton. He's Jack McMullen. And this is probably the last episode for those who are watching on YouTube where uh, you're going to see my like old, old house background kind of vibe to it. Uh, the Wi-Fi may be skipping a little bit. So sorry about that. But uh, enjoying the, you know, the nice Kentucky Lake area uh, while we bring in the deadline. But Jack, uh, this has been a crazy couple of days, not only for you just calling games in the evening, but then like trying to monitor the the trade world. And you and I did a live stream on the Just Baseball show yesterday, which definitely go check that out because we we broke down a lot of the trades from a big league lens and a minor league lens. Of course, this is going to be more the minor league lens, but it was a weird deadline that picked up right in the 11th hour, which was fun. And we got a couple prospect trades and notable trades I think right at the buzzer that will be talked about in this episode. Yeah, a couple things there. Number one, I do think your network connection is stronger at the lake than it is in the <laughs> park. So uh, I, I can appreciate this level of connectivity from you, even when you're trying to disconnect, quote unquote. Um, but yeah, like impossible to be disconnected during the deadline. Yesterday was like a crazy day for me. And, you know, like obviously we we have busy days pretty, pretty much every day at, at this phase in the baseball season and at this phase of just baseball. But it was like, you know, get up at 7.30, 7.45. And it was like all systems go from 8 a.m. until about 11 p.m. after after a ball game with Indy. So it was like I went to bed. I got one of the best sleeps of <laughs> I, the baseball season last night. Yeah. And so that was great. No doubt. And it was fun. Uh, it was a lot of fun uh, just kind of bringing it in, seeing all the moves come. And I, it's just cool when you can refresh your feed and like there's something happening, you know, almost every single time that it's know, also terrifying because you yeah. can keep on refreshing and it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was the thing. So there was a couple moves right at the 11th hour that were like, whoa, that one got in at the last minute, you know, teams pivoting, things happening. And that's exactly kind of what we're going to highlight here. We'll start with like a bunch of the honorable mention names of of players that were moved that I think are interesting. And of course, you know, if we don't go as deep on, you know, Edgar Caro and some of those moves, it's because we talked about it on the last episode. So definitely go check that out. Uh, but this is going to be one where we'll talk about every single player, but spend a little bit more time on the trades that we have not discussed. Also, if it's a multi prospect trade, we will go a little bit deeper uh, on, on the entire package when we get to that top prospect. If there's two that need to be discussed here. With the honorable mentions, there's there's a handful of players that I think you could probably interchange at the nine and ten range. Like I think there's a pretty solid drop off from this the six and seven range below. Uh, but you could probably make the case for a bunch of different guys. I want to start with DJ Hers, who was you know attached with Kevin Made, so you can kind of highlight both those guys as honorable mentions. I don't like love Kevin Made that much. He's a good glove with the Cubs uh, now sent over to the Nationals in that Heimer Candelario trade. Hers was the get here, left-handed pitching prospect to look. It was a bad year for him last year. It, it just, he could not throw strikes. The command has still been a challenge for him, but he's gotten it to the point now where he's around the zone enough to have some really good starts. Hers is a funky delivery. It's low 90s, but it gets on you quick. And the changeup is diabolical. And the, the strikeout numbers are ridiculous. If he can even have fringy command, he could be a back end starter. A lot of reliever risk here. 
but I think a talented arm for the Nationals to pick up for a rental. And then Made, look, I don't know if he's going to hit enough. I know a lot of people in the Cubs world were excited about him. At the very least, he's a defensive specialist that his glove will probably be good enough to keep him on the bench of a big league team if he can just improve a little marginally with the, with the stick. So not a bad return for a rental. No, not at all. Um, hers is, I think, the clear cut headliner here. And hers was, you know, a, a very flawed prospect. You mentioned it like this guy walked the world at points and he was awesome in high A last year, despite walking over five guys per nine. He had an ERA in the low twos and he was circumventing the walks by not allowing base hits at all under five hits per nine. But he gets to double A, obviously way better competition walks 33 guys in 31 and two thirds innings. So you just can't overcome that. And so far this year, ERA, a couple ticks under four uh, in double A, and he's walking about five and a half guys per nine. So you look at his minor league career as a whole. He's got just about 250 innings. He's punching out 13 guys per nine. That's totally there, but he's walking five to six guys per nine. Yeah. And you just can't survive as a starter at five and a half, six walks per nine. I think, yeah, like probably a left-handed reliever, but he's he's too exciting to pigeonhole there. He's also only 22 years old That's in double A. So yeah. I, I think age is on his side. Being a high school draftee is on his side. I think the Nats made out pretty well here. Yeah, I think they know that they got a big league arm here um, because at the very least, you know, he's going to go in the bullpen. Stuff ticks up probably to 93, 94 from that slot with the changeup, and he's a good reliever. He's a really yeah. solid seventh inning, eighth inning guy. Uh, that that you could feel good about as he develops, but you're also giving him another year or two to try to stick as a starter, try to improve that command. And, you know, maybe that's exactly what, what you need, you know? So I, I thought that was a good get for the nationals who are just looking to stockpile arms. They go get, you know, some infield depth as well. Speaking of infielders and speaking of the national league East, how you Lee sent out to the Tigers from the Phillies in return for Michael Lorenzen. It's funny. We say it backwards here at the call up the prospects go in return for the big leaguers here. Uh, yeah. But how you Lee's had a nice year. Um, he's, he's an interesting prospect who has really put up fantastic offensive numbers you know, over the last two seasons since you know, his last two seasons really of, of full ball. Cause he played very briefly in 2021 after being signed at 18 years old and, and just played a little bit at the complex, but in 2022 posted a 131 WRC plus in, in low a as a 19 year old Struck out less than 20% of the time. Uh, he's a solid infielder. Like I, I think the glove is kind of fringy that's coming along, uh, but he gets on base. He doesn't strike out. This year in high A, 283, 372, 401 slash line, five home runs, 14 for 17 on the stolen base department. Nothing jumps off the page with Lee. Uh, it, it's a good field to hit. It's a fantastic approach. That might be the one thing that jumps off the page, so to speak. He does not chase, uh, but ceiling's kind of capped. There's another high probability big leaguer that yeah, I think has, has a really good shot at being a utility piece. There's enough sneaky pop in there, 102 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity. Like that's not bad at all. He's flashed a 110 pull side or 109, excuse me, pull side. Like there's enough there to be an everyday player. And he's just 20 years old. It was an interesting one for one swap, but I think this was Scott Harris and the Tigers being really high on how you Lee and feeling like he can blossom into an everyday infielder. Yeah, and I think the thing that I like the most is that the numbers are almost exactly the same as what they were last year in low A. Like he jumped up from low A to high A, and you mentioned as a 19-year-old in low A, 20-year-old in high A, like the numbers are nearly identical. Batting average, let's just look at that, 283, 283. OBP, 384, 372. Slug, 415, 401. 
it's very, very similar there. And the bags are similar. The impact is similar. So I, I feel good about consistency, knowing that, you know, you are getting that incredibly advanced approach from a 20 year old. This was a good one for one swap. And I, I read something that Dombrowski was not willing to move Johan Rojas. I think they probably could have gone for a better option than Michael Lorenzen um, if they were willing to move Rojas. But they were not. And they got an all star this year in Lorenzen. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I like Rojas a lot and, you know, as at least a, a fourth outfielder, an option that can help them now. And with Pache going down, he's filled into that Pache role really well. Um, so I don't I don't blame Dombrowski not being willing to, to part with Rojas and Dombrowski not being willing to part with a prospect. It doesn't mean that Johan Rojas is is a you know generational talent, but it, it means that they see enough in his skill set that he can help them now. Um, and yeah. and Lee, of course, is is a little ways away, signed for about half a million dollars, a little bit over that, out of Taiwan a couple years back. Uh, so nice get for the Tigers, who you know you, you were always going to get somewhat of a meager return for a rental, but I think in this market they did pretty solid. Uh, you know, it, it, all things considered couple more honorable mentions and then you can fill in on anybody that I I miss here, Jack, because I think there's a lot of interesting arms specifically that were moved. But a couple more bats first. Devin Mann. This is another like classic Dodgers prospect that just blocked a little bit older. You know, maybe doesn't have, uh, you know, the defensive prowess and some of the other things to, to stay in the lineup like a la Ryan Noda. But I mean, the numbers have been fantastic for Devin Mann pretty much at every stop. You, you won't find a WRC plus under 100 for him in any year of his professional career. And the 26 year old in AAA this year has a 125 WRC plus, 14 home runs, 400 on base percentage. Yes, he's striking out at a 25% clip, but walks to offset it, power to offset it, and a high Babbitt because he hits the ball hard. Man's limited a little bit defensively in terms of the value you get there, but he hedges that with the ability to play all over the diamond. I thought this was a great get for the Royals. Uh, You texted me, Devin Man's going to be a great Royal. Like, I I think it's a fun one for them because you got nothing to really lose here. You need bats and, and just depth. And I think this is a guy that you hope can turn into a regular, but at the very least, you feel pretty good about him being a utility piece that can pack a punch a little bit with the stick. Yeah, no, I, he was the rung below Michael Bush on the utility ladder with with a bit more defensive versatility there. I guess you could probably look at him as the rung below Miguel Vargas because he fills a more similar role to that of Vargas. Because but he's Bush like is, multiple rungs then. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Like, I don't know. If you just look at the Dodger pecking order, like there's a reason that Noto was blocked within yes. the Dodgers organization. Ryan Ward is a guy that has long been blocked in the Dodgers organization when he would have gotten at least a big league cameo in some other organization, but like they can always turn to a James Outman or a Johnny DeLuca. Devin Mann, I think, was blocked by the idea that Vargas was better than Bush and Bush was better than Mann. I think I saw that Mann is going to Omaha. I don't think he should go to Omaha. I think he's big league ready right now and yeah. he should go play for uh, maybe the worst team in baseball. <laughs> Honestly, like, Nobody's really having that conversation because Oakland's so bad, but like Kansas City's brutal. And I think that, you know, especially with some of those guys that are out with injury, like Vinny Pascantino is out for the rest of the year, like slap man at first base a little bit. Give Prado a, a day in right field or anything like that. I'm with you. I, I think it's a matter of time before we see him. I think they just, you know, maybe have some roster situations, roster things to to sort out. But I agree. He should be in the big leagues right now. Nothing left to prove in the minors. 
And I agree. The Royals are sneakily the worst, especially now subtracting Yarborough in this deal, who is so low key been one of their best arms. It, th- this team stinks, uh, absolutely stinks. Uh, but at least they have a little bit more youthful intrigue with Mann and some other pieces that they added. And, you know, Vinny Pascantino coming back next year, uh, hopefully better and stronger than ever. Yeah. You're wrong also moved and that was in remind me that which deal that would have been rom on top of uh prieto for flaherty yep good do- good job thank you so rom yeah. interesting because you know we know that the orioles you know kind of need all of the arms they can get in their in their system but rom yeah i think the ceiling's somewhat capped here he has not put up the best numbers in triple a and i think kate povich has obviously taken a full jump over him uh and is one of the, the if not the best pitching prospect they have with a graduated grayson rodriguez and you know some of the other guys that have really performed you got mcdermott you got seth johnson you've got a, a bunch of other dudes that are very unsung in that system that we could go on and on about rom is is interesting because I think it's not a bad get uh, for a rental. And also we talk about teams that a team that needs arms. I mean, the, the Cardinals need arm need arms pretty bad. So to be able to get a drew Rom here, um, I, I think it's an interesting spot uh, to be able to add somebody that gives you some depth, probably closer to Connor Thomas than, you know, what we'd like to admit, but it's just another arm in the fold. That's close to big league ready. And you hope maybe like, unlock something the fastball is just pretty meh and that's been the challenge for him uh he mixes in a slider a sinker and a splitter uh and, and occasionally you know it, it's just one of those things that i don't know if he's a big league starter he's probably more of a depth arm but they get him thrown in there um i was hoping to have a little bit more on him but i'm even looking to, at the data right now on the stuff it's just it's just not that good yeah and like opponents are hitting 290 against him like that's a that's a hard pill to swallow from from a guy that you're hoping makes a big league debut and he just he hasn't limited hits well enough and listen the name of the game is run prevention and and the name of the game is era how are you going to do it i i think whip is excellent and i've talked to a lot of pitchers that are like i look at the whip man i'm not Mm -hmm. looking at watch per nine i'm not looking at hits per nine like it's it's a combination of both i'm looking at base runners that i allow yep if you walk a bunch of guys you better not be allowing hits he's walking about four and a half per nine which is unfortunate i is it above average, like below average? I yeah, guess. Below av- yeah, it's below yeah. average. Yeah. Command below average walks per nine clip is above the average marker. So below average control in that department, y- you better be limiting hits big time. And if opponents are hitting 291 against you, like that's a tough pill to swallow because the whip is going to be high. And so far, the whip this year in Norfolk is at one seven. Yeah, exactly. And that's an important note to make because, you know, if I, if I walk a guy um, and then I retire the next three, it's no different than giving up a single and retiring the next three uh, exactly. yeah, or a double or a yeah. triple. <laughs> yeah. If you retire the next three and an example of that's Jackson Wolf, which I actually think is one of the more underrated arms moved at the deadline. A guy that's already made his big league debut in an emergency for the Padres and, and held his own. And, and Wolf is a guy that will probably get on the show at some point in the next month or two. Uh, this guy's had a bit of a whirlwind uh, between getting called up and then getting traded. But one of the better humans I've interacted with on in, in professional baseball and going back to the Katuit Kettleers. But Wolf has really seen things click. And he's had the velocity tick up. He was a guy that was working in the upper upper 80s before and, and now is in the low 90s. But he's a six, seven lefty from a really funky release point and gets some of the best extension I've seen. Uh, you, you look at the extension numbers, it's it's up there with anybody in the minor leagues. So yeah, it's only 90, but tough release point kind of jumps out of his hand a little bit. 
and it's it's an extra couple feet closer to home. So yeah. averaging 90.5 miles per hour, he's actually picking up really good whiff numbers on the fastball. Opponents hitting 227 against it with a 649 OPS and, and a very hitter friendly double A uh, where he was throwing, you know, in that Texas league. Good whiff numbers in the zone and pounds the strike zone. So while Wolf may not miss as many bats at the higher levels as he is right now with a 28% K rate, he doesn't walk a lot of guys. So again, this is an example of keeping that whip in a reasonable spot. Curveball is pretty good. Slider is pretty good. Nothing's plus, but everything's pretty good and plays up from a really good release point. Wolf was dealt in the, what was it? It was the larger swap with Choi and Hill, Rich Hill for Alfonso Rivas, Wolf, and another complex guy. Yeah, I, I thought that I thought this was a good get for the Pirates here, and and hopefully he joins you in Indy very soon. Um, sure. I know I know you'll be a big Jackson Wolf fan, but definitely a, a nice little get for them and a guy that's had a really good year. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, what what kind of intrigues me about Wolf and just watching his big league debut too. The arms are flying absolutely everywhere. Like yeah. that is a long, long dude. So that that's got to be so hard to pick up. And obviously, you know, Sale was a Cy Young contender year in and year out because the arms were flying everywhere, and he was ninety eight. Wolf arms are flying everywhere, but he's ninety two. That still plays. Yeah, yeah. And you hope there's a tick up there. If there's another tick up, then all of a sudden you, you you've got a potential solid rotation piece. But for now, good good arm. You know, fringe five swingman type. And a guy that's going to work his butt off and, and hopefully, you know, keep making the gains that he's making. I'll take a six, seven lefty arm on an upward trajectory any day of the week when I'm dumping G-Man Choi and Rich Hill. Right. Like it's a no brainer move for the Pirates there to really give up nothing and and get something for sure. Going to Joe Boyle. Talk about a, another six, seven guy here. Uh, a little bit different of a profile. Not a lot of strikes. Crazy stuff. I'll say, though, the, the Reds, former Reds prospect is starting to throw more strikes, dare I say it? Uh, there's no question about the stuff. There's no question about the swing and miss that he's able to get. He's also walked 19% of batters this year. It's gotten a little bit better as the year has gone on. Boyle was swapped for Sam Mole <laughs> straight up, yeah. and now he's in Oakland. I mean, this is a good get for, for, for the A's. I mean, you need to just accumulate and accumulate upside and hope some of these guys take off. If it doesn't work for Boyle as a starter, I got a fair amount of confidence that he's going to be a high leverage reliever or at least get a shot there. I know you made the joke. Yeah, he's like the understudy for Ricky Karcher, but he, he definitely has a little bit more going for him there. And you know that slider is disgusting. The fastball touches 101, 102. And again, like he just has to be below average with the command to be a really good reliever. I, I don't think it's going to happen as a starter, though. Yeah, I was going to say like that, that ship for me, Joe Boyle, the starting pitcher is entirely gone. And he started 19 games in, in Chattanooga so far this year. He's thrown 84 innings, his career mark in the minor leagues. What do you think his walks per nine is at? It's got to be, it's got to be seven, 7.6. Yeah. He's walking seven and a half guys per nine. Yeah. That is totally not okay as a starting pitcher. So no. That ship has sailed for me. But yeah, man, I mean, if he gets that down to six and a half instead of seven and a half, he's a setup guy because that that shit is disgusting. It's 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 dirty. Uh, we, we talked about Roberts and Kloffenstein who who came in uh, that that trade, you know, with from the Blue Jays and you know, go over to the Cardinals. So if you want more on that trade, check out the last episode. But for those who may have just be discovering us on on YouTube, Roberts, solid arm, you know, good mix 
of several pitches. The problem for him is the fastball quality. His secondaries all have a chance. He has three secondaries that I think could be average or better, but the fastball is well below average. It's been pummeled to near a near 1000 OPS this season. That's the challenge for Roberts. If Roberts can develop into an average fastball, I love his chances of being a, a four or five starter. And then Klaffenstein, he, he's, he's been a guy that has seen an uptick this year. He's prospect fatigue because he was drafted in 2018 over a slot high school guy, but he, he looks good overall. Yeah, and, and good is relative. He was a guy that had a six ERA previously. He's put up good numbers this year. Uh, the cutter has really looked solid for him. The stuff has all gone up about a tick across the entire arsenal. I think it's a big league arm in some capacity. So not a bad get and a big dude that maybe sees another tick up. There's we got to talk more about the double tick up. I've noticed like there's a lot of guys that see two ticks at like a, across the span of their minor league career, especially the young high school guys. And, you know, maybe you're hoping for, you know, a double tick here with Coffinstein for Hicks. You know, I thought I thought that was a pretty good return. For sure, especially because it looks like Hicks wants to test the free agent market. If he was going to sign an extension anywhere, it would have been in St. Louis. Like he's not going to go to Toronto and say, yeah, you know what, let's do it. It sounds like he's going to test the market. It feels like he's going to test the market. And for a market tester, this was a great return. Two other guys before we jump into the top 10 that I want to highlight real quick. Evan McKendry, a one-for-one swap, the Rays, triple-A uh, arm, 25-year-old. So, yes, he's still got a teensy bit of prospect intrigue, but he is totally a depth starter at this point. McKendry, one-for-one swap with Alex Jackson. Alex Jackson, the catcher, goes to Tampa. McKendry goes to Milwaukee. And then Eddie Slayonard goes from the Dodgers to the Detroit Tigers. Leonard, a guy that has been underwhelming in double A this year at 22 years old, but we're not very far removed from him putting up a 920 OPS season. Um, and, and I don't like he can be a big league middle infielder, I think. He's worth a flyer. I mean, the defense is pretty rough, but bat speed's really impressive. He's put up good numbers in the past, like you said, maybe change of scenery. And I mean, you, you got him for free. Might as well see what he can do. Um, yeah. McKendry, another just really awesome dude. Um, excited to just, he's taken it so far. We talked about a guy that, you know, it gave us nightmares in, in high school when we had to face him. But, you know, the, the stuff has kind of been the same. He just knows how to pitch. Cutter splitter, you know, another changeup that'll mix in there. That's almost screwball-y sometimes. And he gets outs and you look at the minor league numbers, like he, he will get you quality starts. I could see him being something similar to what like Brian Hoeing was able to do for the Marlins, but maybe a little bit better than that. And you, know, you need those emergency depth arms and guys like that, that just know how to throw. So uh, a good get, you know, there, I think in a swap for a catcher that you didn't need. Um, and then the best honorable mention probably is Cesar Prieto, right? Who, who oh, goes yeah. over, you know, it, and that was that was an interesting one because he goes over for a rental in in um, Jack Flaherty. And I think Prieto was the guy that we were most ex- expecting them to move. He's a little bit older than some of the other guys. You know, you'd rather Connor Norby, who has higher upside. But Prieto, you could probably make the case. He could easily be the number 10 guy here uh, because of just the elite bat to ball skills. We're talking 90 percent zone contact. Uh, the exit velocities are decent enough to where, you know, it, it, I think. He could be a, a big league regular. You, you need to be able to have that max over 105, and he's got the max up to 108. So uh, there's enough there. He puts the ball on the ground a lot. The, the complementary tools are not that great, but it's bat to ball, and he puts the ball in play a lot. 7% strikeout rate this season. Like That's a pretty solid guy to, to snag for a rental. So um, I thought that was not bad at all. And he's slugging 475. So 7% K rate. I expect you to slug about 310, 320. Not the case. He's slugging a little bit. So I I can really appreciate that. One more, actually, because I realized he didn't crack the top 10 for us. Khalil Watson. 
Khalil Watson, and some people may be surprised by that because, you know, Watson, former first round pick, has the upside to be as good as maybe any of the players we talk about here. But I'm starting to to just believe that it's it's becoming decreasingly likely that Khalil Watson figures things out. He is still just 20 years old, but there's just so many moving parts here. Uh, the exit velocities haven't been as good as, as I thought they would be. So like, you know, hoping that there'd be that, that plus power to dream on. Like I don't see it nearly as much, of course. So Khalil Watson was attached with Gene Segura sent over to the guardians. Marlins get Josh Bell and, and basically effectively pay down Josh Bell to, to just 8 million next year. So they attach Watson basically to dump Segura's contract and and get Josh Bell at a discount. I thought that was a fun move. It's an easy, you know, no-brainer flyer for the Guardians to take if they wanted to move off of Josh Bell. They just got Kyle Manzardo, who we're going to get to. So I think they feel pretty good about the first base situation going into next year as well as well with Josh Naylor. Uh Watson, though, man, like the the power numbers, the 90th percentile exit velocity of 102.5, like. That's not what you'd expect for a guy that whiffs as much as he does. The glove at shortstop is is pretty rough. I, he's got the tools to be a good shortstop, but it's just rough uh, in terms of just his ability to, I think, make the routine plays. And then we know about, you know, all of the, you know, off the field and, and technically on the field issues. You know, one of the pictures that was going around was him pointing the the, the bat at, at an umpire um, and saying, like, this is the lasting image of, of Khalil Watson as a Marlins prospect. Look, maybe a change of scenery is good for him. He doesn't fit the bill of a Guardians prospect at all for no. several reasons. So it, it shows you that they're just taking a shot on the upside here. But I just don't think he's he's shown enough on and off the field to, to crack the top 10 here. I was going to say you took about 90 seconds before you got to the makeup thing. And that's like that's one of the Guardians things like Guardians are, are high makeup farm. Like that's just how every affiliate is with them. And. Uh, unfortunately, like the makeup is a serious concern with Khalil Watson and double, unfortunately, like that's been made public. And and I think that there are a lot of low makeup guys that it's not really known until they get in a consistent interview type setting at the big league level where you're like, huh, like this guy's not the nicest, friendliest guy. Um, but that that's been made public and, you know, let's hope that he can write the ship because he is, he can be immensely talented. We just Mm -hmm. have yet to see him tap in. Um, and I think that anybody saying, oh, Khalil Watson was like a, a lottery type pick like last year or 2021. OK, but that ship needs to sail. And I think Kim Ang probably looked at that and it's like, OK, that that's a loaded thing there. I don't know if we want to deal with that. And we have a chance to go get a big leaguer right now. 100 percent. He fell in the draft for a reason. And the Marlins are moving on from him for a reason, a, a system that you know could use any position players that they can they, they can get right now. Yeah. Number 10, we had, we had a tie because TK Roby had to be on the top 10 for me. Uh, just, just off pure talent. We talked about Roby a lot last episode because he also heads over to St. Louis. Uh, but Ryan bliss, that's a guy that also had to kind of be in the top 10 here and bliss. It, I, I know you love Ryan bliss. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, but let's start with Roby real quick. So we don't have to you know spend as much time on him. Fastball was like up to 97, 98. Um, I, I think he's got the potential for a, a plus breaking ball and then two other above average secondaries. If if TK Roby was healthy right now, I don't care about the five ERA. If he was healthy right now, I, I think he's he's a borderline top 100 prospect arm. But of course, now he's dealing with a shoulder thing. Uh, the Rangers, you know, they, they feel like they're probably moving a high injury risk arm and, you know, they're able to go get somebody that helps them. But in Jordan Montgomery, but 
I thought this was an interesting one with Roby to, to take a chance on a guy that could end up being one of your better arms in your system just off pure talent. Yeah, no, I, and we talked about this, I think last time out, it, it's the true overhead delivery with the fastball and a curveball compliment. And if he is 97, 98, I mean, that can play at a bullpen right now, but yeah. he's got starter potential. He can go five, six innings. So I, I made the Karen check uh, comp last time, like, Think about, you know, a subdued version of James Karinchak spread out over six innings. Yeah, that's going to work. And the command's good. Like, that's the crazy thing. Like, he pounds the strike zone. Yeah. Almost to a fault. I think that was part of the reason why his ERA was high. He's pitching in the Texas League almost too many strikes. And and I think that was part of the reason why, you know, you saw the ERA a little inflated. But I thought he was way better than that ERA. And that was a guy that when we did the Ranger system, I was like, man, Roby, I'm really starting to like this guy. Yeah. Someone that you just had to to like after seeing what he's done this year is, is Ryan Bliss. And we saw him in the Futures game. He's fun. I don't think anybody was buying tickets to see Ryan Bliss. But the Diamondbacks send him over to Seattle in a larger deal that also included Dominic Canzone and um, first base. Rojas. Or, Rojas exactly. And yeah, we get Seawald going the other direction. Canzone, technically a prospect. I guess we could put him in that borderline top 10 range too. Great glove, sneaky EVs, pretty good approach. I think fourth outfielder floor. So, uh, and potential to be a, a regular, you know, fringe regular, which I think is a nice get. But Bliss is probably the highest upside piece they get here. 23-year-old, yeah. former second round pick in 2021, who's just really put it all together this year. He, he focused on cutting down on the whiff and making more consistent contact. And he's done exactly that. I mean, you look at what he did in the Texas league prior to his promotion to, you know, triple a, where he's kind of still getting his feet under him and, you know, through a dozen games, but in double a 68 games, 358, 414, 594 slash line, 30 bags, 12 homers. Like, I don't know if, if the homers are going to translate that well at the big league level, but the bags, the improved bat to ball skills. Um, yeah. I, I still think he's an average hitter, but sneaky pop, Really good runner, versatile. He's a fun player. Uh, that it, there's some like rem, re, it's a bit reminiscent of a, of a John Birdie type to me. Mm-hmm. One of those players that just flies under the radar, and you're at, you look at the end of the year and you're like, oh man, he's two and a half WAR guy. Like I think that's exactly what Ryan Bliss could be for uh, for Seattle. And they they need guys like that. No, I'm out. Uh, Amarillo Merchant. I, yeah, I saw Amarillo Merchant AAA. Total Amarillo Merchant. No, I. I do love the uh, cut down on the swing and miss. Like, do you do you have in front of you the K rate from high A last year to double A this year? Yeah. So high A was a 24.4% K rate, double A 17%. Like you can thrive with a 17% K rate when you're this fast, but a 25% K rate, 24% K rate, you're, you're cutting it close. Like yeah. it's hard to be a really productive, productive player when the K rate is over 20%. If he can live at the major league level, in the 15 to 18% range in terms of K rate, I think that this guy can absolutely be a two and a half win player. You mentioned because he he's such a factor on the base pads and he's a good defender, man. Like he seems very good over there. And the reason that he was playing a lot of second base in Amarillo was because Arizona has another shortstop prospect that they were very high on. That was in Amarillo. So I, he could probably play shortstop. His future is more than likely second base, yeah. um, especially with JP Crawford there for the foreseeable future. But Bliss can be up like next year. Like he could yeah. break camp next year if if Colton Wong or I mean Colton Wong's gone if if they can't really find a replacement at second base. Yeah, no, I, I think so, and I think that's exactly why they went out and got him. It's like a, if, if it doesn't work with Rojas, like here's another guy that can potentially give us you know some production next year at second base. So I like that get for them. Number yeah. nine, Marco Vargas. 
He goes to the Mets. And look, I told you, Marco Vargas is going to sneak onto some top 100 lists relatively soon. I really do believe that. We talked about him in the, in the last episode, so we don't have to go too deep here. But Vargas, part of that uh, part of that deal for David Robertson, and of course, he had Ronald Hernandez attached, so you could probably mention as an honorable mention in this as well. But Vargas, I know looks have been limited for folks. I don't know if you saw like some of the videos on Twitter of his swing. Um, I know everyone doesn't have the same access to like all the video, but this is one of those dudes that you could see one swing and you're like, oh, I see it. Uh, in terms of just what people like about him, it's silky smooth from the left side. Just barrel lives in the zone. Tons of contact, 88% zone contact, uh, overall contact rate of 85%, which is fantastic. Uh, the glove has continued to get better. And the EVs are, are are getting better and better as well. What's most impressive to me is that he doesn't chase. He's walked almost twice as much as he struck out. He only has a 15% chase rate this year, 5% swinging strike rate. This is a guy like, I don't know how high the ceiling is at 5'11", 180 pounds. We'll see how much power he taps into. But he just turned 18 years old. He already has an elite approach and great bat to ball skills. This was a great get for the Mets for a rental reliever. And they already got a prospect on top of that with, with um, you know, Hernandez. Vargas is definitely a top 10 guy that was moved to this deadline, just the furthest off. So people probably don't see him on pipelines, rankings or whatever. But I'm telling you, scouts would put him in the top 10. Some may even say that nine was too low. Interesting. Yeah. Um, No, I think if I were to rank the top three prospects in baseball just by Twitter swing videos, Roman Anthony would be one. Yeah. Uh, Marco Vargas would be two and Lazaro Montes with the Mariners. Would be three. <laughs> so uh, I think those are, those are the three, uh, I guess, house of highlights type guys. Yeah. When I look at swing videos uh, on MILB Twitter, but no, man, I, I know we talked about Marco Vargas last episode, but yeah, I mean, it, it just seems advanced for a kid that, you know, is at the complex. No doubt. No doubt at all. I mean, he's as advanced as they come. Number eight. Nick Nestrini, who is now a member of the Chicago White Sox. And how about the White Sox, man? Like we might have to do like a, a, an episode in the coming weeks of like updating the White Sox system and what the new top 10 is, because that's going to be a fun update in terms of what the system now looks like after all the moves that they've made. They traded Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly. Nick Nestrini was part of a larger package. We talked about this on the last episode as well. Part of a larger package that included, you know, Nick Nestrini. Uh, and and it was definitely the the highest rated prospect out of that group. I think Prospectus likes Nostrini the most, has him, I think, in their top 60 going into this year. I, I like him a lot. I mean, the the swing and miss is there. We talked about that. Um, the fastball can reach the the 97, 98 range. It's ticked down a little bit over his last few starts, which is something to monitor. But a pair of nasty breaking balls, a changeup that when it's in the zone or when he's at least has a decent feel for it, looks like a well above average pitch. He's going to chance for three impact secondaries in a mid 90s fastball. It's about command. It's about consistency. And those are two big questions, which is why the Dodgers were willing to move off of him with all the other arms they have. But at 23 years old and, and the stuff that he has, there's no doubting that he was one of the best arms moved to this deadline. Yeah, no, I mean, it was... So he was 54 on baseball prospectuses, top 100. He's he's not a top 100 guy, I don't think. I don't think so. But he's he's a back of the rotation guy. I, I don't want to say surely because you you never have any idea with these guys, but it totally feels like he's a four. Or I mean, five. Feels like a five. But he's got um, more upside than that. I mean, like with the stuff alone, like he's got a three, a number three starter stuff. But yeah. it's does it all come together? That's a guy you take a flyer on, you know, if you're the White Sox, 
No well, doubt. And that's I, a guy that that's a guy that headlines a deal for the highest qualified ERA in baseball. Yeah, with with an expensive Joe Kelly attached. Yes, you know, exactly. So I, I think I think the Dodgers sneakily made out well here. I, I think that they did a good job going to get and hey, I'm not just saying this because Lance Lynn looked pretty solid on Tuesday. Like Lance Lynn's better than a six and a half ERA. Yeah. We make fun of him all the time, but like he is. And Joe yeah. Kelly is still a hundred with this like weird low nineties hammer curveball. And great nuts. peripherals. And great peripherals. So yeah. so it, it was it was going to take one of those Tulsa driller rotation guys to get it done. And I think you know, Rick Khan, like it was okay. No, Sheehan. He probably asked for Frasso. No, Frasso. Go and get the college arm. You know that that hey looks looks the part. And and I like that they went Nastrini over a Kyle Hurt or over a Knack. Yeah, yeah. I, I would prefer Nastrini over Hurt. And and then like you said, Fras Frasso's. I'm not parting with Frasso over Nastrini. So like it was one of those like perfect middle ground, still good enough for the White Sox, and I'm sure they settled on that name after. I'm sure Rick Hahn kicked a few other names before that uh, and they yeah. settled on Nestrini, which I think is a, a good middle ground and a fair middle ground there. And a nice get for them. Franco and Vivas. Yeah. No, yeah. no thank no, you, Rick. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Uh, number seven. We talked about him last episode. I promise we're getting to the final guys that we didn't talk about much. But Thomas Sejazi. I I think this is one of the most underrated additions of the deadline. The Cardinals getting Sejazi on top of, or I would say TK Roby was on top of Sejazi in that Montgomery deal. But Montgomery, especially with Erod not getting moved, Montgomery was arguably the the best pitcher not named Justin Verlander moved at the deadline statistically. I know Scherzer is awesome, but like Jamon's been better statistically. um, And they ended up getting both of them anyways in in Texas. But Sejazi, we talked about how fun he is in terms of just He just screams big leaguer. This was such a fun video die for me a little while back. And then following up now, he is, he's just so perfect for St. Louis as Brendan Donovan's down for the season. Unfortunately, like he reminds me of Brendan Donovan, but no batting gloves, get some dirt rubs it in his hands. You see him kind of like wiggle his hips around in the box, like shuffle his feet and just throw his hands at the damn baseball. But this is just a, a, a old school player that has really fun tools across the board. Nothing jumps off the page, but everything is solid. Uh, you got sneaky above average power, above average field to hit. I'd say it's probably average power, but above average field to hit, decent wheels. He gets into his game power well because he puts the ball in the air. So even though the exit velocities are maybe slightly above average, still get plenty of extra base hits and home runs. Field to hit's really impressive. Approach could use some work. He's aggressive, but he it's hard to tell a guy that's consistently hitting 300 at every level to swing less. He's just 21 years old. He can play all over. He's a capable defender at, at a lot of different spots. I like him a lot. So Jay-Z's a great pickup here for the Cardinals and a really solid prospect. Yeah, I got to ask you a question. What does the Cardinals middle infield look like moving forward through this year? Because they traded the young and Donovan's done for the year. It's going to be Mason Wynn and Gorman. Okay, where's Edmund? Ooh, yeah, I forgot about that guy too. Well, they kept Carlson. I don't know. Yeah, I guess Mason Wynn and Edmund, and then Gorman is going to be kind of your DH. Yeah. And, I mean, you move O'Neal and Carlson to center and Walker back and left. I think they're going to make more moves, uh, you know, in the offseason. I really do. Um, but to yeah. Jay-Z, I think, you know, they're kind of just looking at him as depth. You know, if one of those guys doesn't quite pan out or, you know, they 
have a perfect opportunity to 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 go move uh you know Edmund or something like that then maybe but I think they just were trying to get the best prospect possible from the Rangers and for a rental I I mean they got a big leaguer here yeah no and I mean they're probably going to have a middle infield trio that that they'll kind of bounce around and I know that Prieto can play third and and Sajazi can probably play third too if that Memphis team features I don't know Sajazi at third win at short Prieto at second. I'm going to watch a lot of Memphis Redbirds yeah, games. Fun. That's that fun. That is fun. I like it. Yeah, no, they've got a lot of infield depth all of a sudden. That's why I think they might move one of these guys, but it'll be fun to see what they do. Yeah. Ryan Clifford, number six. Uh, Astros move a guy that we were talking about over the last few months of just someone that's just had a ton of helium and then I've really started to, to like. You know, it was funny because Bob Nightingale said, well, first he called Drew Gilbert. Uh, Logan Gilbert, and then he called Ryan Clifford uh, a fringe prospect. Yeah. And I think that was the more egregious, um, I guess, omission is not not even saying Ryan Clifford, just saying fringe prospect, because I think he's closer to fringe top 100 than fringe prospect. I mean, this is a guy that got late second round money uh, in 2022. So you look at 11th round pick like, nah, don't worry about that. He was he was a late second round pick. Uh, big time power. I comped him to to our managing editor Ryan Finkelstein, who was curious about you know, what the Mets were getting here in that Verlander deal. Um, I said he looks like a lefty Mark Vientos, and I really think that that is a similar profile. I would say the approach is actually more advanced than Vientos at that stage, and the exit velocities. I mean, 107 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity, 18 home runs. You can say, yeah, Asheville is a, a hitter friendly environment. Doesn't matter when you hit it 443 at 110, which is what he did uh, not too long ago, and 450 at 106. He also hit an oppo home run 450 at 108. This guy's got silly juice. Even if he ends up at first base, it's a good get on top of the guy that we're going to talk about in a minute, and Drew Gilbert, who's one of the best prospects, moved to the deadline. So the way that I kind of look at park factor and the way I look at hitter-friendly environments is, okay, distance is going to change. Home run totals are going to change. Exit velo is not going to change, man. Nope. Like if you're popping one twelves, you're going to do that in the Florida sun. You're going to do that in the mountains. Like that's just going to happen. And that, that reading is taken right off the barrel. So I, I can really appreciate how freaking strong Ryan Clifford is at this young of an age. Um, notice I, I can tell like all the, I don't know, I guess big name talking heads on Twitter Fringe prospect. Yeah. Like that was egregious, but also how about minor leaguer? You know what I mean? Like minor leaguer, Ryan bliss, minor leaguer Clifford. Like it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me because they're they're more than that. They're big time prospects here. Gilbert, I think was the headliner. Um, uh, Clearly the headliner. I know that there are some people out there that like Clifford's ceiling a bit more than Gilbert's just because the power is immense and Gilbert doesn't have that kind of pop. Um, Gilbert seems a bit more well-rounded and I know we're going to talk about Gilbert here in a matter of moments, but Clifford, man, I, with how strong that guy is and where the numbers are at that young of an age, this was a guy that I was IDing, And it's like, if, if somebody gets this guy, they're going to be happy campers. And I think that the Mets made out really well. I, I agree. And, and just to highlight here, 12 batted balls this year already, 110 plus miles per hour. You don't I mean, see that from 20 year olds, 19 year old, 20 year olds. No. No, and a max of 114 this year. Um, that's some silly pop. And the whiff's not bad. We're talking 82% zone contact. We're talking overall contact rate of 76%. That's fine. Yeah. That plays. 
So I, I, I'm, I'm excited about this get, you know, again, the defensive limitations are you know, probably why the, they were willing to move off of him, but he is, he is a really solid get for, you know, the, this Mets team that's looking to overhaul the system and they use money to do it. And I was, I was, I was, I don't know what I was more surprised about, but we'll get it to it when we get to Gilbert. I don't know if it was that they moved Drew Gilbert or that Ryan Clifford would be on top of a Drew Gilbert. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't think they'd move Gilbert, but I can understand because like there's scouts that like Melton Moore and Melton has continued to grow on me. I really like him. So I can understand maybe moving a, a Drew Gilbert if you really like Melton internally. But I guess it was maybe adding Clifford on top. But it, it shows you. I mean, when you get a Justin Verlander with all that money. You get a pretty nice prospect return. So that was pretty fun uh, to see the Mets kind of restock this farm system, whether it's, you know, I know they're kind of buying a farm system, but if you can't buy a good team, might as well buy a farm system. And they're doing just that. Uncle Steve is cooking. Do you think, do you think they won at the deadline? Like I'm trying to think about winners and losers. We're about to do that on the just yeah, baseball you know, show. I, I always like, think it's, it's funny, like winners and losers, because it's like you're winning because you're, lo- because you lost. Like the, yeah. the Mets lost. So now they're winning. It's easy to win when you're trading a Hall of Famer and eating money. But right. I'll like, give them, I, th- I think I'll, the White Sox, I think the White Sox were one of the biggest winners at the deadline. But yeah. like they're having a season from hell this yes. year. How can the, I call them a winner? And, and the Mets, I think, accumulated way, way more prospect capital because they attached, again, tens of millions of dollars to future Hall of Famers. So it's yeah. hard to call that a winner. I think they did a great job. So in a vacuum, they're winners. But I think the the White Sox did more with less, if that makes sense. Imagine if you yeah. gave Rick Hahn unlimited money. I don't even like Rick. I think Rick Hahn's bad. But like <laughs> you give him unlimited money to just buy prospects on top of the guys that they were trading. I, I think they could have cooked a little bit more and you know, made a little bit more of a difference. But leading yeah. into this, though, they got a prospect. I think they got arguably the best arm moved at this deadline. Maybe the yeah. best arm moved at this deadline at number five in Jake Eater. And Eater is somebody that you know goes from the Marlins to the White Sox in a move for Jake Berger, which is a fun one because you know the Marlins need power in the worst way. And I think that they were dangling Eater in a few different ways. Those talks fell through from what I was told in terms of like they had some other things in the works with Eater around it. And I think the Marlins looked at the deadline like two hours away and said, man, we can't just, just hold on to Eater and just roll. Like we need to absolutely uh, you know cash in Eater in some way. And they had a Jake Berger who gives them power. Eater is somebody that I think the White Sox picked up at the perfect time. I've been monitoring his starts. Um, I, I pretty much don't miss many of them. As you know, my good friend Griffin Conine plays on the same team. So I'm, I'm usually tuned into most games, at least passively. And just watching. And I always you know, look at most of the starts of any relevant prospect the next day. But I watched Jake Eater's last start. And he looked like the guy from 2021. And it takes time off of Tommy John surgery and the tacked ball. And what I was told digging around a little bit there too, it it was a a weird feel on the slider with the tacked ball, especially coming off and not throwing that much and throwing with different balls kind of as you're coming back from TJ. Uh, He was, I think through the first three, four starts of the year, he was not getting really any whiffs on the slider. It wasn't there for him. He was just surviving on fastball changeup, which the changeup was barely even a pitch from the past. The slider was that 70 pitch. Last couple starts, the slider has been there. And what has Jake Eater done? The last two starts, he's gone 10 and two-thirds innings, 18 strikeouts, and just three earned runs. Huge whiff numbers on the slider as well. He looks he looks back. And I think this is a guy that looks like he has middle rotation upside, high probability, back into the rotation starter who has great stuff. 
And I think he's on an upward trajectory. Eater was a great get for the White Sox here. This was one of those deals that I think everybody was really quick to take aside. Like, oh, you know, White Sox fleeced here. Like, oh, what an overpay. And I think a lot of, you know, other people were saying, oh, you know, I, I can see that. But like the Marlins got exactly what they needed in Berger. You know, it, it's tough to depart with an eater. I think this was a very mutually beneficial trade. I think the Marlins got a controllable power bat that they can use for the foreseeable future, especially after shipping Garrett Cooper. Uh, I We talked about this on the live show yesterday. I think he is a younger, probably more powerful version of Garrett Cooper. Um, and, and you said probably a bit more whiff, but he's got a better defensive home, I think, too. So, I, I mean, I thought this was a mutually beneficial deal, but with this being the one-for-one one swap here, the White Sox made two one-for-one one swaps. It was Kendall Graveman for Corey Lee. Corey Lee is not the caliber of player that Jake Eater is, but Jake Berger is a lot better than Kendall Graveman is at, at that contract and and with how much time is left remaining. So, no, man, I, I thought this was massive for both sides. I thought it was really creative. Like, nobody was talking about Berger no. at all. no. No. And, and for the White Sox, look, you don't necessarily need a Jake Berger. Like he's been a nice. He was fool's gold this year. Yeah. You weren't expecting anything from a guy that played what? It combined like 60 games his first two years. Yeah. In the and to turn that into a guy that, I mean, other than Noah Schultz, right? Jake Eater has got to be their best pitching prospect. Yeah, absolutely. Is and you can make the case like I mean, in the system. Noah Schultz has high upside. I mean, it was exorbitant upside. And I think people will take Schultz over him. But in terms of proximity, Eater will be up with the big league team next year and be in that rotation, I think. Did they get the number three prospect in the organization here? It, it probably goes Colson one, Schultz two. It's probably Brian Ramos, Edgar Caro, or Jake Eater. Yeah, no, I think he's right there. And I think all those guys are interchangeable. I, I also, I'm very high on Brian Ramos compared to most. He's been hurt this year, but I, I love him. And I think that's also part of the reason why they're willing to move, uh, you know, somebody like, uh, you know, somebody like a Jake Berger, because you have Mancada still, you're stuck to him. You're stuck with him. You have Sosa who could potentially, you know, play all over the infield. And you have a Brian Ramos who I actually think could be a really good big league power bat. So number four, another White Sox prospect. We've talked plenty about him, so we don't need to go too deep into it. And for the sake of time, as we approach an hour, like we can just kind of go quick on Edgar Caro. But I mean, to get Edgar Caro and a deal for Giolito with Kai Bush included like that, that was awesome. Caro, probably their catcher by mid-season, late season next year. He's gotten better and better at limiting the running game. I mean, the blocking needs to get better and the receiving can get a little bit better. But I think he is a guy that is definitely a prospect fatigue victim because we've talked about it. He got a very aggressive assignment to work with the coaches that you know, the Angels preferred him to work with in A and Rocket City. And of course, you know, you're going to have some challenges with the tact ball as a 19 year old, now 20 years old, switch hitting catcher, skipping high A. He straight up skipped high A. And then people are like, oh, why are the numbers not that good? Well, he skipped high A and he's a 104 WRC plus. Like, it's not that bad. He's walking more than he strikes out. Yes, I'd like to see more power, but this dude had a 150 WRC plus as a 19 year old in low A last year um, and hit 17 home runs and put up, you know, at least slightly above average EVs. Carroll's a good player. And he's the future of, of the, the catching position for them. Corey Lee can hold it down in the meantime. I thought this was perfect. When he taps into more power, not if, when. Like when he just gets older, spends more time in, in a professional weight room and, and on a training program. Like when this guy taps into more power, that WRC plus is going to skyrocket immediately because yep. he's already yep. walking. 
and you, you mentioned the bat to ball, like he, he gives himself enough of a chance to make things happen. And once balls start flying, I, I mean, this guy can become a really good offensive piece. And it seems like he is on the trajectory to becoming a really solid defensive catcher, not like Jefferson Carroll level, but no, I mean, he can still be good. Yeah. Um, Welcome to the White Sox organization. You're playing Rocket City this week. Yeah. <laughs> it's Isn't that so funny? weird. It's, it's that's so the weird. most bizarre part. I, I think Evan McKendry and Alex Jackson switched clubhouses. I'm pretty yes. sure in AAA. Yes. Um, last thing on Carroll, 86% zone contact, 80% contact rate. Those are both fantastic figures for a 20-year-old at that level. Um, yeah. I, I think he will learn to leverage more of that contact into slug as he just matures and gets you know more physically mature as well, as you said. Number three, and I think you could interchange three and two pretty easily. You could almost you can make a different case for any of these top three guys, but we'll make the case. And this is a little bit of a clue into the top 100. Number three is Drew Gilbert. Drew Gilbert, the other piece, along with Ryan Clifford, moved for future Hall of Famer Justin Verlander. And Drew Gilbert is just a really solid prospect. Some you know, I, I wouldn't like I wouldn't say it's divisive because everybody I think is the consensus is this guy is going to be a big leaguer in some capacity. I think what's divisive about the Astros is some had Melton above, some had Gilbert above, some had uh, Denzenzo above, which is interesting. Like there's a lot of different opinions on a lot of uh, on these 50, 55 future value prospects that the Astros just crushed by getting in, in that draft class, even though they had one of the smallest draft pools. I think Kylie McDaniel pointed that out, which is really impressive. Um, that's what the Astros do. Gilbert, 22 years old, center fielder, goes to the Mets and just, just such a high probability big leaguer. I see 50 to 55 grades across the board, gets into his power in games pretty well, good athlete, great jumps in center field, such a natural baseball player, just period, as as you know, as lazy as that is, it's just really comes, the game comes easy to him. His approach continues to get better, but that's something that's one area that I think he could get a little bit better at. Um, he handled a pretty aggressive assignment straight to double just plays the game well. And I, he was a guy that impressed me on the backfield, just the way he went about things. And I think there's more power in there to unlock, even though he's only five, nine, 200 pounds, he's a fun player. And I think this is instantly one of the better prospects, if not one of the best prospects in the Mets system, really good get here for a guy that can play a good center and, and swing it and give you all the little complimentary tools you want. Yeah. He had a really bad June and like, we don't like playing the what if game like, Oh, what if he didn't suck for a month? Like, yeah. If he didn't suck for a month and he would be in a thousand OPS guy, but he would actually be a nine fifty OPS guy. If he didn't have a miserable June, it was like a buck 77. Uh, and it was like a what five sixty OPS in June. Um, if this guy doesn't go through a bad month, we're talking about this guy is top 40 prospect in baseball. I think um, now he's in what do you think? The 50 to 70 range somewhere in there? Yeah, probably like I'm still kicking the tires on that. I think he's somewhere in that like 60, 70 range. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, if this guy is putting up a 950 instead of like an 820, it's like, oh, OK, he's for real. And let's push him to triple right now. Um, he's going through an acclimation process. <laughs> Being a yeah. college draftee last year, it's kind of hard to survive and double unless your name is, you know, like Dylan Cruz or something yeah. like that. Um, and we don't even know if Dylan Cruz is going to survive and double. So, um, yeah, Gilbert, I, I think, was a guy that people soured on right before the draft because, you know, he was the one that kind of showed up at umpire during the Super Regional and was like, what are we doing here? But, I, I mean, it's it's really easy to kind of mature from that moment, especially when that is the, the peak of your career at that point. Yeah. Now you're a pro ball player. He can handle himself like a pro. And I, I mean, he looks 
good across the board. And I've heard nothing but good things about him as a as a person. And, and you know, the way he goes, anybody about can it. have a slip up like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's intensity too. like there's a line and you learn how to like, you know, draw that line with the intensity. But you like that fire from your players. You like, you know, you like to see that it's just, you know, kind of reining it in. The, the, the breaking balls have been a little bit more of a challenge in double, but he does ride, you know, a, a nice little 10 game streak into, you know, the Mets organization where he has 15 hits, a pair of home runs and five doubles over his last 10. So, you know, that'll play. Getting into the final two prospects here. Kyle Manzardo. How about that? Who would have thought? Kyle Manzardo from the Rays gets moved over to Cleveland. Maybe part of the reason why they were willing to move off of Josh Bell. That was for Aaron Savali. Steep price to pay. But Aaron Savali was beyond just the the Hall of Famers with bajillion dollars attached to them. Pretty much the only arm with control that was moved at the deadline. So you got to give to get. Manzardo, very good has had a disappointing year, relatively speaking, which I'm going to get into because that was a fun dive I did. I have a tweet kind of breaking it all down um, on my personal Twitter where you can kind of see a little bit more on, you know, why Manzardo maybe has not had the year that we expected. He was 22 at the start of the year in, in AAA, so young for the level. Just made a mockery of high A and double A competition last year. Just hit for average, got on base at over a 400 clip, hit for power, but they wanted to see more game power. He wanted to see more game power. And the focus has been trying to get into more game power. And I think that he's been kind of caught in between this year. Still 238, 342, 442 slash line. If that's your down year, man, with 11 pumps and a, and a 21% K rate, I, I'll take it. Let's see how he builds off of this in, in Cleveland. And he's such a Cleveland Guardian type prospect in terms of the bat to ball with the sneaky pop and the way he he is profile offensively. He's totally got enough power to you like. I don't know, almost you make a nice point. He's bat to ball. He's, I guess, hit tool over pop, but he's got enough pop for pop to still be a part of his game. If that makes any sense at all. Um, Cleveland usually has guys where it's like, okay, you can hit 300, but you're going to slug 370. That's not Manzardo. He can hit 290, but he can slug 500. That's absolutely what he can do. Well, the, the problem is the slug 500 is he's capable of it. It's just trying to figure out how to get into it more. And and this year, he he has hit the ball a lot harder, which is why I think he's been largely unlucky. And you won't hear me say that about a lot of prospects. I think that's a cop out. I do think he's been largely unlucky, but I also think part of it is kind of what he's trying to do. Average exit velocity is up two miles per hour. 90th percentile exit velocity is up two miles per hour. Ground ball rate is down 8% and his BABIP is down almost 100 points, right around 80 points. He has one of the lowest ground ball rates in the entire AAA league. So I think that's him kind of trying to sell out for power. And I would say like there's there's a balance here because the goal for more power is good. You're a first baseman. And that's ultimately what's going to make him a, a big league regular at first base. But a fly ball at the track is not better than a line drive back up the box. That said, the more fly balls you hit, the more chance you have to hit a home run. So it's like this painful balance that you have to find. And a lot of guys end up finding it through leveraging their hitters counts. And then when they're not in those hitters counts or they're early in the count, even they're the plus hit tool guy who's looking to spray. I think Freddie Freeman's a perfect example of that. Freeman's mm -hmm. got big power, but that's not who he is. He's using the whole field. Uh, but if he gets that 2-0 count, then he's hunting. So th that's a nuance that I think is going to come as Manzardo gets more at bats. Like, remember, this guy's only had one full professional season. That was last year. That's it. So this is his second full professional season where he's trying to adjust from the elite bat to ball guy to first base caliber power. And I think he's going to strike that balance. I think it'll come.
Yeah, no, and I just put out like the numbers, including this, I guess, rough go of it in triple 179 minor league games for Kyle Manzardo in his career, slashing 291, 392, 543. It's a yeah, 935 that's... OPS, 179 games, 50 doubles, 35 homers, 127 driven in, 14% walk rate, 18% K rate. Yeah. Try poking a hole in that. Yeah. No, it'll it'll come together. He will find the balance. Great get for the Guardians. On the flip side, the Rays, they see a guy that they're going to have to add to their 40-man by next year. He's Rule 5 eligible in December uh, of 2024. And on top of that, you have Curtis Mead, who's ahead of him. You have Junior Caminero, who looks like a corner guy who is one of the best prospects in the game. You have Yanni Diaz under plenty of control. You have Isak Paredes under plenty of control. You have Xavier Isaac emerging as a higher upside first baseman. He's further off, but higher upside is it's stupid power. So you've got all this depth. And then you've got even like an Austin Shenton. You've got uh, Jonathan Aranda still there somehow. Like you've got so many guys that I think it was, it was palatable to part with Manzardo uh, when you have already p- production at first base and you can clutch onto the higher upside first base slash third base options. Can we play a game real quick? Um, it's not a bit of game. I'm just going to tell you what what's going on here on the multi-year spending summary for the Tampa Bay Rays on SpotTrack. Um, Yandy Diaz makes six this year, eight next year, 10 and 25 at a club option for 12 in 2026. Um, Randy Rosarena has three years of ARB left after this. He's a super two guy. Savali has two years of ARB left. Um, I mean, you, you keep on going, man. Like McClanahan is is a super two guy. He's got four years of control left. Isak Paredes, super two guy, four years of control left. It's incredible what they do. Yeah, it's they were gonna, they were going to have to work to find a spot for Manzardo. So they're like, going to have to work to find a spot for Aranda. Yeah, and and yeah. So I I think this was a worthy move, even though it was a steep price in a vacuum. Last but not least, we got number one, and it's the best prospect moved at the deadline. And some may not have him ranked ahead of the other two that we talked about, but you know, he's a guy that's really grown on me over the last several months and has made all the improvements that I've needed to see. Luis Angel Acuna also going to the Mets in that Max Scherzer deal from the Rangers. Luis Angel Acuna, again, not going to have the 80-grade tools that his brother has uh, in Ronald Acuna, but th- this is a dude that... I think he's made every improvement I wanted to see across the board. Improved you know, his lower half to the point where he's not drifting as much. Now he's able to handle velocity much better. He's seen a two to 300 OPS bump to his batting average, or excuse me, to his numbers against 94 plus miles per hour. He hits breaking ball as well. Uh, his defense at shortstop is borderline plus, but he can also play center field now a little bit. He can also play second. He can also play third. The exit velocities are above average. He's 21 years old in double A, running a 19% K rate with a 311, 373, 448 slash line. He's one of the most elite base stealers in the minor leagues, over 40 bags already. I, this is a guy that's just, it's tools across the board. It's a really sound game. It's a balance of high floor, but with some good complementary tools that give him a little bit higher of a ceiling than most players with his profile. I think Luis Angel Acuna is still kind of underrated. Getting traded to the Mets is the best thing to do for somebody that's underrated. He'll soon be somehow overrated. But this is a dude that I think should be on every top 100 list. I think he's closer to top 50 than back half top 100. With It's really hard to poke a hole in this guy's game. I think he's already overrated. He went 0 for 4 in his Rumble Ponies debut. Um, I think he is yes. a Texas League merchant, much like Ryan Bliss. Yes. And I think that he shouldn't be in the top 10 of this list. Yes. Uh, Acuna is awesome. I'm a huge fan. And and the thing that 
kind of gets me going is 42 for 47 in the stolen base department. Yeah. Like it's, it's hard for that not to get you going in 84 games. I mean, yeah. like, and, and how about a, how about a 19% punch out rate in, as a 21 year old in the Texas league, Texas league. Yes. It's hitter friendly for power, but it is a hard place to hit in terms of like not striking out. There's a ton of nasty arms. The Tulsa drillers alone in that league, but yeah. there's a lot like the strikeout rate in that league was closer to uh, the tacked ball Southern league than people would think because of just how nasty the arms are in that league. Like the Southern league has no good arms, especially now. Like you look at it with the guys getting pushed up quickly. Yuri out of there. Uh, Smith. Yeah, they had some good ones at the top, like AJ and Abbott. But and they Connor were out Phillips. quick, like out, like made a few starts gone. Um, yeah. and, and a lot of these guys in the Texas league have been there all year. So I think it's really impressive to have that strikeout rate under 20%. To have the walk rate in his professional career over 10%, still hanging around at 9% this year. How much power he will hit for it will be the question. But again, if you're playing great defense, if you're an elite base dealer, and if you've got good bats of ball skills, I'll take 10 to 15 home run pop because everything else is going to play. That'll do it. That's our top prospects moved at the deadline. I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode. If you did, please subscribe to our YouTube and also leave us a rating on the audio side. Interview with Gordon Graceffo of the Cardinals system coming out on Friday. Some other fun interviews in the pipeline as well uh, as we get into the second half and the, the final stretch of the season here. Jack, any final thoughts? I don't think so. I, I loved this deadline. I said it at the end of the live stream. Um, I'm a sucker for a seller's market, and this was so clearly a seller's market. And it's very fun. It's fun for the minor league people, the the prospect heads, to see massive returns for these guys. And do I think a lot of these deals were quote unquote overpays? I do. I I think Jake Berger for Jake Eater is kind of insane. Yeah. But that was the market this year, and Manzardo for Zavali. Insane last year, the market this year. And I love when that's the market. When you want to upgrade your team, you better pay up. And it's fun to see some of these prospects change hands. It's always a, a little rush, but we'll be talking more about how these guys get acclimated to their new spots. Top 100 list is coming very, very, very soon. So look out for that. And as always, thank you for listening. We'll talk prospects with you on Friday. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.